All right, grab your Bibles, go with me to Romans 1. Romans 1, as you're <clears throat> turning there, um, just consider some of the things that we're going to be working toward over the course of this year. Um, we, we're thankful for what the Lord has done in the brief life of Redeemer up to this point. Uh, we would consider ourselves to be uh, mere infants in church life, uh, but at the same time rejoicing at um, the way God has moved in our church. <clears throat> Some things we're going to be working toward for 2018, we're going to start uh, developing Redeemer more along um, organizational lines, moving toward uh, covenant church membership process, uh, searching the scriptures for biblical leadership and what leadership looks like for us. Um, being intentional in discipleship, life-on-life type discipleship, especially through our small groups, through our um, home gatherings that we have. Uh, Try to move toward uh, more intentionality there. Missional engagement, um, a couple things just on in terms of global mission that um, we're we have on the calendar. Uh, Joe and I will be leaving actually two weeks from today to go and meet with some of our partners in the Middle East to look at strategy going forward with uh, some of our work among the displaced community, and uh, we'll be spending a week with uh, with these partners, uh, hopefully asking the Lord to to lead us to know how to best encourage them, but then also to think not just Redeemer, but the United States Church. How how does the church here uh, most effectively engage there? And so that'll be uh, January 21st to 28th. And then looking at in the spring, doing a retreat for uh, the team that we directly partner with. Um, and uh, we'll be taking some folks along on that trip. Um, just practically some technology type things we're working toward. This has been a long time working toward, but working toward website type things. Um, how do you have a church in 2018 and not have a website? Well, that's us right now, uh, but um, by God's grace, we'll be able to move in that direction. We've started doing some podcasting things and still trying to work out some kinks there, uh, but hopefully uh, sometime soon. Um, Billy's kind of taking the lead on that. Appreciate Billy stepping up there um, and having some of our teaching online accessible uh, for us to listen to again, but then also to share uh, financial stewardship, develop kind of a working budget. Like I mean, we're giving consistently, and um, just over 2017, that from say April to the end of 2017, we gave as a church around 60,000, something like that. So that's that's good. That's really good church for us. Um, and the final number, which I'm more excited about than the 60,000 for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, was 10,308 dollars and 80 cents. So that 100% of that, $10,308.80, will go to the International Mission Board, which will then go to the field work. And so uh, very encouraging for us. At the same time, we want to continue to think how we can be strategic in our giving and not just throw dollars at things, but think with gospel intentionality. Um, Start looking toward a new meeting venue. You throw a couple more folks in this room with us this morning, and it's more than cozy. Right now it's cozy. Uh, some of you have a little space, but others don't have that space. Um, but looking toward those things that we have much to do. Um, so the admonition and the encouragement is uh, pray for us. Pray for us as a church. We want to we pray. Pray for me 
um, as pastor and then as leadership develops, pray for that leadership and what that leadership looks like. Um, and, you know, all these aspects are necessary and they're profitable, just discipleship, organization, those things. But they all have to have one core, and that core has to be the gospel. The gospel is a word that's often used, but often misunderstood. Uh, and the reality is, according to the Scripture, if we miss the gospel, we miss it all. Like, we can have organization, we can have structure, we can have buildings, we can send people, we can give money, we can do all of these things. But if we miss the gospel, then we're just spinning wheels in the mud. It, it's a waste of time. And the gospel is essential. And just a couple of verses from the New Testament that remind us of why the gospel is essential. The gospel is it's by the gospel that we're saved, Ephesians 1.13. It's the gospel of your salvation. We're commanded to go into the world and proclaim the gospel, Mark 16.15. Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to all creation. We must hear the gospel to believe, Acts 15.7. We must stand firm in the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15.1. Galatians 1.9, anyone who distorts the gospel is to be accursed. Our conduct is to be in alignment to the gospel, Galatians 2.14. The gospel brings hope, Colossians 1.23. The, the Bible is over and over and over reminding us of the centrality and the necessity of the gospel. So things like church membership, a leadership structure, financial stewardship, technology, corporate worship space, mission engagement here and globally. All these things are void of meaning without the gospel. And so if we miss the gospel, we miss it all. So to start 2018, we want to hopefully, by God's grace, set a course for us in the gospel, toward the gospel, and for the gospel. So look at Romans 1, we'll read verses 8 through 17, and consider... Our foundation here being the gospel. It's Paul writing to the church at Rome. First, verse 8, Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at, least, at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we confess our dependency on you even as we study your word. By the Holy Spirit, we need you to communicate the written word to our hearts so that we can know better the living word, the Lord Jesus. Help us this morning to see that the gospel is essential for our church. It's essential for our mission. It's essential for our very lives. And Lord, we trust that by your grace and for your glory, you will guard us against straying from the gospel. So use this text for Redeemer to set us hard and fast on that which really matters, the gospel. We pray it in Christ's name. 
Amen. The gospel, our foundation for Redeemer, for our lives, for my life individually, for your life, for my family's life, for your family's life. Paul gives us three things the gospel does here in the beginning of his letter to the church at Rome. First, we see the gospel shapes our relationships. The gospel shapes our relationships, verses 8 through 13. Verse 8, we see that the gospel establishes our relationships. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Something unique is going on here. Paul has not met the church at Rome yet. You see, Paul's writing this, the longest theological discourse of the New Testament, which is in essence a missionary support letter if you get to the end of the book. And he's writing to the church at Rome, and he's never been to the church at Rome. So he's writing to strangers face-to-face, but he's writing to people he's in relationship with in Christ. He's, he didn't know the Romans. He'd heard about them. He didn't get to Rome until probably three or four years later after actually writing this letter to them. <clears throat> and so we know his relationship with them wasn't a result of things like common interest, family connections, frequent visits, hanging out together. His relationship with them was a, res- a direct result of gospel work now what did he heard about them well verse 8 he says he had heard he's thanking god for them verse 8 because your faith is proclaimed in all the world he he he, the one thing that he has heard about the church at rome is that their faith is going out from the church at rome and so reflective question here we must ask is this true about redeemer will this be true about us is our faith being proclaimed in the entire world including our community and the global reality of the gospel advancement. Now, the, the word here, proclaim, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, it means to report or, pub, or, or announce publicly. There's, there's no secret in gospel work. There's, there's, no, there's no osmosis, there's no telepathy that occurs in gospel work. This faith is being proclaimed. And so the gospel establishes our relationships, but also the gospel encourages our relationships this is verses 9 through 12. In verse 9 he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. It says, so when he says here, when Paul says in verse 9, For God is my witness. Like, this is the ultimate trump card on a promise. Like, God hold me accountable if I'm lying, is what he's saying here. God is my witness, and so the gospel is encouraging this relationship that they have. He's, his, his point here is, what I'm saying is a big deal. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. We see he's always praying for them, but he's also always asking, verse 10, that somehow by God's will he will finally be able to meet with these folks, meet with these brothers and sisters. And then in verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So what is, what is he saying here? What, why the, the language here, verses 11 and 12? What Paul is teaching, what Paul is writing to the church at Rome to remind them, teaching us 2,000 years later, is that they both have gifts through which they can encourage one another. It's verse 11. I, w- I want to impart some spiritual gift to you. I want to use my spiritual gift to strengthen you. Verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, your and yours and mine. So, it, so it, to, to avoid the, the mentality that Paul was bringing some type of like super elite spiritual reality into a visit in the church at Rome, he comes in verse 12 and says, but let's, let's be clear, we're going to be mutually encouraged by one another. 
You're going to be encouraged by my spiritual gifts. I'm going to be encouraged by your spiritual gifts. Which just practically, let's play this out here in this room. As the church, we need one another. You don't just need what I bring to the table as a pastor, shepherd, teacher. You you don't need just what I bring to the table. I need what you bring to the table. We need what we bring to the table with one another. And so there, there is no, there's no hierarchy, hi, hi, hierarchical f- structure for how this gifting works for the church. We mutually need one another. And it's because the gospel encourages our relationships. And it's through these realities that God, if God has saved you, God has equipped you in a way to serve the church. Let me say that again, because a lot of times we just don't believe that to be true. And I say that because it practically does not play itself out. If God has saved you, God has equipped you in some way to serve the church. And the gospel encourages these relationships. Paul says we want to be encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. There's this mutual encouragement in the gospel. Paul needed them, they needed Paul. Which reminds us that Christianity is not individualistic. Christianity is not individualistic in nature, but actually Christianity is communal in nature. There is a communal aspect to Christianity. There is no isolation in Christianity. In fact, isolation for the Christian is very dangerous. Isolation is the environment in which sin just ferments and begins to thrive. Isolation is the, is the environment in which the old nature just kind of starts creeping back up. But in community with one another, which Joe preached on last week, in, in this community with one another, we're able, we're able to encourage one another, not just, hey man, have a great week, but encourage one another in the gospel in ways that really matter. And so the gospel establishes our relationships. The gospel encourages our relationships. And then in verse 13, he comes and reminds us that gospel-centered relationships serve to advance the gospel. Gospel-centered relationships serve to advance the gospel. Verse 13, I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What's the purpose of gospel-centered relationships? The purpose of gospel-centered relationships is to advance the gospel. Why does God put us in community with one another in this thing we call the church? It's so that the gospel is advanced. The gospel is advanced in our lives, but the gospel is advanced in the world. Paul isn't saying here the harvest is his, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So we, we understand the harvest is God's. You and I, we are workers in God's harvest field. And in these gospel-centered relationships, we're serving with one another, encouraging one another, pushing one another toward advancing the gospel. So, question before we move on to the second reality Paul points here. What are your gospel-centered relationships? This is more than the people you like to hang out with and talk about stuff. Who has the right to speak the gospel into your life? To whom have you given the right to speak the gospel into your life? Like, who is it that is going to come and say something that you in no way want to hear, but absolutely need to hear, and you're going to receive it? Who are the gospel-centered relationships in your life? You see, biblical community does not just happen. These gospel-centered relationships don't just happen. I mean, our default, we're self-centered. Let's just agree on that. Like, we are all collectively self-centered people in here. 
That's how we all want to live. Most folks' default is isolation, is privacy, is fences, guardrails, holding everything at a distance. But the gospel pushes into that, right? The, in Christ, think about this, in Christ, in the gospel, God destroyed your privacy fence and redeemed your soul. Right? Because in our, in our sinful nature, in our fallen state, we had a pretty good barrier set up between us and God. And God said, your barrier is nothing for me. And he destroyed, bulldozes it, comes in, redeems us, and then what does he do? He places us into community with a bunch of people just like us. Now look, we, we buy into this lie that I'm the only one in this room who's like this. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Like we... We, we read this and we're like, oh, yes, but, man, everybody else has it together except me. But we are all, I mean, secret, we are all jacked up. Like, we are all wrecks. And were it not for the gospel, we're going to stay jacked up. We're going to stay wrecks. But because of the gospel, we don't have to. So who are your gospel-centered relationships? If you say, I don't i got some buddies I hang out with and talk football and stuff, but I don't, I don't know anybody who has the right to speak truth into your life. Well, get after it. Cultivate it. Drop down some barriers. Have lunch with somebody. Have coffee with somebody. Say, hey, man, just, I need somebody to speak truth into my life. Reach out to someone. Say, hey, I would like to speak truth into one another's lives. This, this doesn't just happen. Like We aren't just going to show up on Sunday morning at 1015 and then shazam, biblical community. No. It happens, and it's really awkward and clunky at times, so that's okay. Right? A lot of grace has to be given here. Enough about that. The gospel shapes our relationships. Secondly, the gospel shapes our mission. We're going to come back to the gospel shapes our relationships in just a couple weeks, maybe even next week. The gospel shapes our mission. So if that made you really uncomfortable, get ready, because it's going to get more uncomfortable. All right, number two, the gospel shapes our mission, verses 14 and 15. Look at what Paul writes here. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We see Paul's obligation, but then we also see Paul's desire. Both of them are the gospel. Paul's obligation is the gospel, verse 14. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. It literally means I am a debtor to this. I must proclaim the gospel. This is Similar to a text we looked at a few weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, Paul had to proclaim the gospel. So his obligation is the gospel. And in this statement that he makes in verse 14, we see that there is no partiality in the gospel. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. Those in the Greek-speaking world, it's not like barbarians, guys running around with big sticks, clubbing people over the head. It's those who are outside of the Greek-speaking world. That's who he's referring to. So those who are in my world and those who are outside of my world, both to the wise and to the foolish. So there's no partiality. It's Greek barbarian, wise, foolish. It's educated, uneducated. It's white, black. It's American. It's Syrian, Iraqi refugee. It's a Sudanese. It's Bengali. It's the Turk. It's the Hispanic community. It's you name it. We're under obligation to proclaim the gospel there. You see, here's, and here's why Paul can say, I'm under obligation both to Greeks, to barbarians, wise, and the foolish. Everyone. 
It's because sin levels the playing field for all people. Sin levels the playing field for all people. American sinners are in the same situation as Muslim Syrian sinners. It's all sin. And it's all under the wrath of God, unless atoned for by the Lord Jesus. And so we don't, we don't place, now, just to clarify here, we don't place gospel worth on people. Like We don't say, okay, the Syrians are worth me taking the gospel to, or my neighbor is worth me taking the gospel to, or my coworker is worth me taking the gospel to. Because in, in truth, none of us are worth taking the gospel to. We don't place worth, gospel worth on people. We place gospel worth on Christ. Christ is worth me taking the gospel to the Syrian refugee. Christ is worth me taking the gospel to my mother or my father who doesn't know the Lord. Christ is worth me sharing the gospel with that co-worker who is outside of Christ. The, the, the statement, they aren't worth hearing the gospel, well, they're not worth us sharing the gospel with, is actually a correct statement it's a terrible sentiment because it's incredibly skewed and dreadfully arrogant but it's accurate none of us are worth the gospel but christ is and since christ is we take the gospel think about your life before christ redeemed you if you're saved were you worth the sacrifice of christ you were worth condemnation I was worth every ounce of wrath that was going to be poured out on me. Christ was worth me being redeemed. And so sin levels this playing field. So Paul's obligation here is the gospel. I'm under under obligation to Greeks, to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. And then also we see Paul's desire in the gospel shaping our mission in verse 15. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You see, proclaiming the gospel is both an obligation and a desire. We don't, we don't like the word obligation because what does it sound an awful lot like? It sounds kind of like legalism, and we preach pretty hard against legalism around here. But there's an obligation that comes with the gospel. Paul says, I've been saved by the gospel, so I'm obligated to take this gospel because Christ is worth me taking the gospel. But it's not just an obligation. It's not like just like someone's twisting our arm, forcing us into this. But he says, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome eager to preach the gospel why wouldn't we be eager to preach the gospel it's the greatest news in the world you go to lunch this afternoon and you have a fantastic meal what are you going to do you're going to run your trap about it to somebody you're going to say hey go eat at xyz restaurant and order this because it was fantastic we have a great meal we share it with all our souls have been snatched from the pit of hell Why would we not share it with all? There has to be this eagerness that comes with proclaiming the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul put it this way, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So the gospel shapes our mission. What is the church's mission about? What are we to be about? The gospel. If the church doesn't advance the gospel in her community and in the world, she's forsaking her primary calling and privilege. And so this method here is specific. Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, which means words are required. Words are required. 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so we, we have to speak this gospel. And so we, we develop strategies, we serve in intentional ways, we do good deeds so that God's love can be shown before men. But the gospel has to be proclaimed. No one is ever going to be saved as the primary result of fixing a roof after a hurricane. No one's going to be saved by gutting a home after a flood. No one's going to be saved by developing a strategy to bring medical volunteers into refugee areas. All of these things simply provide the platform for us to do what? Proclaim. So this week that we're going to spend with our partners overseas, thinking about strategy. The strategy has to get to the gospel. There's two directions here for the gospel. Verse 14, gospel to the world, especially the unreached. He's talking about the Greeks, barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. Later on in Romans, in chapter 15, verse 20, Paul writes, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But that is, as it is written, those who have never heard of, who've never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so we take the gospel to the world, especially the unreached, which means we do things that just don't make sense to a lot of folks, and that's okay. That's okay. So we take the gospel to the world, but then verse 15, there's also this aspect where the gospel comes to the church. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul wanted to preach to the unreached in Rome, but he also wanted to preach to the Romans. He just talked about how they were going to share spiritual gifts with one another and encourage one another in Christ. And so he's preaching to the unreached for them to be saved, but he's preaching to the Romans, to the church, for them to be sanctified. And there's a reminder here that just lifts from the statement that Paul is making is we as Christians never graduate from the gospel. Never. We never graduate from the gospel. The gospel that saves us is the gospel that sustains us. The same gospel that saved your soul is the gospel that sustained you in Christ. And so we must hear the gospel over and over and over and over. We have to constantly be reminded that outside of Christ we are dead in sin, hopeless, without any hope in this world. And God moved on us, took us from being dead to making us alive in Christ. And by repenting of our sin and believing on Christ, we can be made new in Him. We have to be reminded of this message. We have to hear the gospel over and over. Our mission is the gospel, church. We communicate the gospel with words. We communicate the gospel with words. We communicate the gospel with words to the world. But we also communicate the gospel with words to one another. You know, a lot of times I need to be reminded of the gospel. Because left to myself, I think I'm a fairly big deal. And so in gentle kindness, I need a brother or sister to just remind me, either intentionally or unintentionally, just speaking the gospel, that, hey, outside of Christ, you're nothing. You're nothing. Your sin is the same sin as that person's sin. Separated you from Christ. And God did everything to accomplish your being made right with Him. 
Like we need this message proclaimed to us over and over and over. So the gospel shapes our relationships. The gospel shapes our mission. And then lastly, the gospel shapes our faith. Verse 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There are three specific four F-O-R, statements, and all three of these statements express gospel confidence. And one thought moves to another, almost like a chain reaction. Like this, and then this, and then this. And so if we aren't eager to proclaim and live the gospel on mission, well, there's been a misfire somewhere in this chain reaction. So consider the first four statement, verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why in the world would we be ashamed about that which we are eager about? He just said in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel. And so verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. <clears throat> Why be embarrassed about the greatest news in the universe? Why be embarrassed about the greatest news in the, in the universe? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do your family members, do your classmates, do your coworkers know that you are a Jesus follower? And not just in name, like you've checked Christian in the religious affiliation box on some application or whatever. But they actually know that you're a Jesus follower and that impacts the way you do life every day. That impacts the way you run your business. That impacts the way you show up, report your hours. That impacts the way you fill out your expense reports. That impacts the way you bill your customers. All these kinds of things. Do people know that you are a Jesus follower? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Second four statement, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the gospel isn't simply an expression of God's power. The gospel is God's power. Did you catch it? Look at what he says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, referencing what? The gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel has intrinsic power in itself. It, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. A person is not the power. Redeemer Church is not the power. Some strategy, however great, is not the power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And the gospel is initiated by God. Here's why the gospel (coughs) is the power. Of God for salvation. Because the gospel is initiated by God and the gospel is carried out by God. Notice what he says there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. It, the gospel, is the power of God. He's doing gospel work. The gospel is God at work. It is the power. And so in this message that we say we believe we find the power of God. So if we enter into a season of life where it just seems as if we're void of the power of God, what have we walked away from? We've walked away from the gospel. (laughs) We've not walked away from doing this, that, and the other. At the core of what we've walked away from, we've walked away from the gospel. (laughs) And so the result of this gospel's power is salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Believes. Another word for belief here is faith. By faith, we trust in the gospel, resulting in salvation. We believe the gospel. Our sins are forgiven, and we are made new in Christ. We cannot do this work ourselves. God does this work in us, and he does it through the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. 
to everyone who believes. Interesting here in verse 16, the verb tense of believes is present, and so it indicates and reminds us again of our continual necessity for the gospel. You see it there. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who not believed, not past tense, not like this happened and you checked it off and moved on from it, but who believes. We believed and we believe, and we will continue to believe. We must believe, continue to believe. We must have the gospel revealed to us, and we must continue to have the gospel revealed to us, reminded of the gospel. And also, we remind one another of the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. So the first state, four statement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Second, for it is the power of, salva- for, of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then the third four statement is verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel. There's just this whole circular reality that's going on here. For in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. Faith in the gospel, from faith, for faith. What is a weird way that the words work there, from faith, for faith. What is Paul getting at? The gospel is the origin of our faith. The gospel is the direction in which our faith leads. And the gospel is ultimately the destination of our faith. We believe in the gospel. We believe on the gospel. How are we declared righteous before God? By faith. Which reminds us it's not what? Not of human merit, right? Not of works, so that no man can boast. It's by grace you've been saved. And so we're declared righteous by faith, by faith alone in Christ alone, not our merit. It's all of grace. And so we simply believe. And the same gospel that we are saved by is the gospel we live by. And how are we saved? We're saved by faith. How do we live? We live by faith. And what is the power that fuels this faith? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So when your faith is weak, when my faith is weak, it's not, it's not so much a faith problem that I have, it's a gospel problem that I have. It's not so much that I need to like grit my teeth and tense my muscles and exercise my faith more, it's simply that I need to believe the gospel more. And so three questions in light of the text this morning. One, do you have gospel-shaped relationships? in which other brothers and sisters have the right and privilege to speak the gospel into your life? And do you have those relationships where you have the right and privilege to speak the gospel into someone else's life? Secondly, do you embrace gospel-shaped mission in which you're willing to sacrifice and risk, just fill in the blank here, to see the gospel advanced in our community and across the world? And thirdly, Do you have gospel-shaped and gospel-advancing faith in which you really believe the same God who saved you is making you more like Christ every day by the gospel and for the gospel? If we miss the gospel, we miss it all. Let's turn off the lights, lock the doors, give the money somewhere else, and go find something else to do if we miss the gospel. 
Oh, but Redeemer. <laughs> if we land hard and fast on the gospel, my goodness at what the Lord would do. For his glory. Not so that Redeemer explodes into some metropolis of a church, but so that God's kingdom explodes. And he uses Redeemer however he sees fit. Only by the gospel. And so we're going to demonstrate the gospel. Um, we're going to sing one song, There's a Fountain. And my encouragement to us as we sing is to be reminded through the words of the song of the gospel. It's super gospel-centric song. And then as soon as we've <coughs> sang uh, There's a Fountain together, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, the bread and the juice are on the table over here. <coughs> and so uh, we'll have a moment there, and we just invite you to come. If you're by yourself, come by yourself. Come as a family, however that looks for you. Um, and uh, take the bread, take the juice, and remember the Lord's death, right? And I'll, I'll read uh, leading into that time. And then as soon as we're finished celebrating the gospel in communion together, uh, we'll sing the gospel again to wrap up. And so let's stand and pray and get ready to sing. Father, we confess we are dreadfully prone to forget the gospel, to get bored with the gospel, to grow callous to the gospel. Lord, we thank you that by your grace and for your glory, there are times when we, when we read through passages like Romans 1 and we're reminded of the necessity of the gospel in our lives individually and in our life as a church. Lord, we trust your grace for everything that you're going to bring our way. Lord, keep us close to the gospel. When we begin to stray away from the gospel and rely on our own power, strength, skills, talents, convict us. Father, thank you for the reminder that The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.